Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Social Selling, presented by SAP. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Social Selling, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Let's see what the buzz is today. Oh, this sounds very serious. Let me quote from a writer named Evan Klein who wrote uh, the B2B e-commerce customer experience is not what you think. Let me tell you a little bit more. He says, and I quote, the existing culture of traditional B2B companies is not entirely conducive to online procurement experiences. Yet if Forrester Research is correct, B2B e-commerce sales in the U.S. alone will soar as high as $1.1 trillion by 2019. Increasingly, buyers prefer to purchase products and services online at work with the same level of convenience experienced in their personal shopping experiences. That's a couple of loaded sentences. So what are we talking about today? Today's digital buyer, B2B buyer, expects to be a dynamic part of the sales process. They don't want to just sit there and receive information. According to a Walker study, customer experience will overtake price and product as the key brand differentiator. So can social selling, because this is changing the game with social selling radio, can social selling help B2B solution sellers enhance their customers' experience throughout the sales cycle? Interesting whether you are the buyer or the seller, we think you will appreciate this topic. The experts speak. I have two experts on the show today. Let me just briefly tell you their names and titles, and then we'll get started. In just a moment, I'll be introducing you to Firdaus Sharif. She's a vice president of global marketing at SAP, and joining her on the panel is Kirsten Boylo, Head of Social Selling Training and Enablement at SAP, and I understand they work very closely together, so thank you ladies for joining me. Ferdas has sent us a quote from Elon Musk. This is a great quote. I think it's under the category of words to live by. Take risks now and do something bold. You won't regret it. Ferdas, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you, Bonnie. I'm doing great. How are you? 
I'm very well, thank you. Rumor has it that you're calling all the way from Dubai. Is that true? <laughs> oh, that's absolutely true. Yes, it's uh, it's really, really hot here. We're in the midst of our summer, so yeah, I, I'm sure you have better weather than I do. Ah, <laughs> uh, not not too much. We're in the thunderstorm era here in New York for us, and it's it's been pretty hot. So tell me something. Everybody knows Elon Musk. I usually go into a long list of his qualities. He's the founder and CEO and CTO of SpaceX, founder and CEO of Neuralink, founder and chairman of Solar City, co-founder of Zip2. Uh, he was the co-founder, Series A investor, CEO, and product architect of Tesla. He founded XCOM, which turned into PayPal on and on and on. So Elon Musk, we can hold him up for DOS perhaps as the poster boy of taking risks and not regretting it. So tell me, how does this yeah. topic, your, your quote, how does this relate to our topic? We're talking about something, I don't know if it's magical or not, but the customer experience for B2B buyers. You know, I think um, coming from, you know, the way I see the world, I think if you don't give somebody a good experience, they're never going to come back to you. It's, you know, whether you do it in a restaurant, whether you do it in a B2B environment, I think um, it's, it's pretty much, you know, a level playing field. So from my perspective, I think if you really want to be successful, you know, if you want to get to where you really want to get to, you can't do it by doing the same thing and expecting different results. Um, I think it's really important to take risks, to try and do things, and, and you're going to fail and you're going to fail often, um, and that's fantastic because, you know, that's the only way for us to, to learn and to understand, you know, what we're doing wrong and to make changes. Um, and then that's how you get success, and and you definitely won't regret it. So yes, you're you're spot on. I think Elon Musk is the poster boy here. Uh, but if we apply that in our you know everyday environments, I think it, it pretty much plays in the same domain. Thank you very much. I was thinking that, you know, um, for us, when we think of the ease in which we buy things retail, you know, I know, Kirsten knows. Come on, you yeah. go onto a site like an Amazon or a, or a, a Zappos or anything or iTunes or anything, and it's just a click, pop, pop. Your credit card's on file. You just go. They show you what you're getting. You look at the reviews and bingo, bongo, you've, you've got it, and yeah. it's there, and you get a receipt. And and the B two B is such a it's a long sales cycle. It's a serious investment, so it does yeah. take work to bring that in. Do you agree? It's, it, it takes a lot more what I'll call TLC tender loving care to make it a good experience. Yeah. Am I right about that? Oh yeah, absolutely. But but I think Bonnie, look, you know, you and I are the consumers that are going and buying something on Amazon, and then we're the same people that are going and buying, you know, an enterprise software for our organization. And we want the same kind of experience. Now, it might not be, you know, in, in 30 seconds, but it could be something that happens in two weeks. Um, and then your implementation takes a much shorter time than it normally would. So I think you've got to look at the entire, you know, kind of life cycle of the customer, and you have to provide a phenomenal customer experience through that ent- all the phases of that life cycle. Um, and I think that's where, you know, if you're able to do that, then that's what sets you apart from the rest of, um, you know, the rest of the vendors out there. And, and that's what we're talking about. It. And when we get into our topic, we'll talk about how social selling can help that relationship building and that experience. So just, just a quick thing from you. Do you think social selling has a very important part? And we always talk about the trust building and building a relationship and being helpful. Yeah. And those are all wonderful things. But in terms of the customer experience, does that really matter if a, if a customer of a B2B solution sale said, 
Yeah, I really trusted them by the time we finished on LinkedIn and Facebook <laughs> and Twitter. And, you know, that trust was really a great element of the customer journey, and I'm so grateful. And I'm not I'm not being facetious for Das. I'm trying to, to make a yeah. point here is that it, on the human level, is that really making a difference? What do you see? Oh, I absolutely see that happening. So, you know, I think social selling is such a... Um, it's such a vital um, element of everything that we're currently doing in our traditional sales, uh, you know, model and cycle. Um, and I think moving away from that because a lot of what we do today happens on social media. And you know, we've we've gone, you know, for, gone are those days when you would, you know, step down, walk down your street, and talk to people and and build relationships that way. I mean, you still do that, but uh, the, for the bigger part, you're having a lot of those conversations and a lot of those relationships are being built uh, through social channels. And hence, in the work environment, I mean, that's no different. So, you know, if you're able to start a relationship and, you know, start building a conversation and, and engaging with someone um, through the, the avenues of social selling, then I think you, you then take that into a personal, you know, I, I'm not saying by any means that you would, you, you know, uh, complete a, a, a sales cycle on LinkedIn or, or one of the, the social channels we have. Uh, but I think it's a starting point. And I think you build upon that and you build a, a more personal relationship, something that, you know, perhaps even turns into friendships and then remains uh, for a longer uh, period as opposed to a smaller si- sales cycle. And I think, you know, what we're really trying to do here, uh, what any organization wants, is it wants uh, a bunch of advocates in their customers. So we're really trying to drive advocacy um, through this process. And I think you can only do that by really you know, building a human connection with someone. Thank you very much. There's that key human connection. That's what we're talking about. That's the key. Mm-hmm. Thank you for distilling that so articulately, Firdas. A real pleasure to have you on. I think in five okay. and a half years and a thousand shows and 4,000 guests, I think you're only the second person calling us from Dubai. So thank you oh, very brilliant. much. We appreciate it. We're not giving awards to Dubai callers, but we certainly do appreciate it. We'll talk to you a little bit later. So uh, now it's time to introduce Kirsten. Rumor has it that you two know each other very well. And Kirsten has sent us a quote from Shep Hyken, H-Y-K-E-N. He's a customer service expert, author, speaker. In his book, The Amazement Revolution, was a bestseller. He has written books called Moments of Magic, The Loyal Customer, A Lesson from a Cab Driver. I like that one. The Cult of the Customer, Create an Amazing Customer Experience that Turns Satisfied Customers into Customer Evangelists. The Amazement Revolution, Seven Customer Service Strategies to Create an Amazing Customer and Employee Experience. Experience. This one is one where, where the quote is from I'm about to read. This was number 11 on the New York Times bestseller list, number 3 on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, and number 1 on USA Today's list. Oh, my. Here's the quote Kirsten has selected from Mr. Shep Hyken. Quote, make every interaction count, even the small ones. They are all relevant. Kirsten, how are you? I am wonderful, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for calling in, and thank you for inviting Firdas to the party. I can tell she's a, a very articulate and charming guest, and we've already learned a lot from her. So talk to me, Kirsten, as are you, and this is your series. You sponsor this. I think this is your third season with us on Game Changers, correct? It is, and I think I figured out this morning that this is uh, number 29, show number 29. Oh, my, that must be a lucky number. I'm glad. So tell me something. A very interesting quote, make every interaction count, even the small ones. They're all relevant. Tell me, are you a big fan of Shep Hikins? Have you read any of his books? And what do you think? 
I have read a couple of his books um, a while ago now, and uh, I just found them fascinating. They, they were so articulate and so uh, really spot on with the things that I was dealing with at the time. Um, but I really liked this quote when I was looking for something to, to, to really uh, evoke the, the, the topic of customer experience and social selling. Because when it comes to social selling, um, you, I heard somebody say it yesterday, a digital, you leave a digital exhaust and, mm. and you have no idea where your customer might um, interact with that, that digital exhaust that you've left behind. Um, all the different touch points that you have in all of the different platforms, it doesn't matter whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter or Zing or WeChat or WhatsApp or whatever it is, uh, if it's public um, and out there in, in, in the web, um, your customer may stumble across it at some point. And so you have to make sure that everything that you've got out there um, makes for a good customer experience. And even if it's not directed at them, um, you don't want them to see you treating someone else poorly. You don't want to, you, them to see you um, making you know, derogatory comments or anything like that. You, you have to be very, very careful about the digital exhaust that you leave behind and because you just never know when your customer may interact with something that you've left behind. So even those small, small interactions, um, they, they do count. Uh, they're, they're very important to the overall customer experience. Very interesting. The term exhaust is new to me in that context, Kirsten. I find that fascinating. Usually we think of, I, I think of it as the wake if you were in a boat and you were leaving a wake, you know, and the waves just keep spreading out or like, like uh, putting a, a little pebble across a pond and seeing the ripples of your influence and of the impact of whatever you say on social. But the exhaust certainly has different connotations. Very, very, very interesting. <laughs> Thank well, you very think much. about it. Um, yeah, your your exhaust goes up into the air, and those all those particles they never they disperse and they become smaller and smaller and smaller, but they never go away. In a pond or in a lake, eventually your ripples end, but in the with the exhaust it it may get smaller, but those, never those particles away. never go away. And and that's the lesson we keep trying to tell. And I'll see if Fridas agrees. That's the lesson we keep trying to tell our young people is that when you say something or you appear in a in a photo online with a drink in your hand or doing something that might have been a prank, it never goes away. College recruiters see it. Job recruiters see it. Uh, future investors see it. Am I right, Fridas? So that's, the good news is that it doesn't go away and the bad news it doesn't go away. Fridas, any comments on what Kirsten just said? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so I really like that analogy, right? And, and I think, um, oh, 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 my God, <laughs> that's so spot on. I think, you know, you leave such a, a digital footprint behind and, uh, and you've got to be so careful about how you represent yourself. And, I, you know, I tell people that, you know, having um, a presence on social channels is really like, you know, waking up and brushing your teeth and combing your hair because you want, you want to set a certain kind of, um, you know, uh, perception of yourself in front of people. And you want to do the same on social channels. So, so you know, leaving uh, any, any kind of negativity or saying things that you're going to regret later or, you know, posting pictures that you're going to regret later. Absolutely. I think um, that's such a huge learning for all of us. And not only for, for the young folks, I think for everyone in general. 
Thank you very much for Dawson. You know what? This is the part of the show called What's in Your Cup Today. We already know you're calling from Dubai. Remind me, I don't know if you told us, what time of the day or night is it? What, where are, what is it there? Is it dark? Is it light? Well, it's 20 past 6 in the evening, and, um, and it's, uh, you know, the sun is about to set, um, and, uh, and, you know, it's, um, it's Ramadan here. So, uh, so yeah, we're, we're all going to be breaking off pretty soon. Um, but, yeah, but it's, uh, it's a really hot summer day. That's, that's basically what it is. Thank you very much. And what we want to know, this is the question we talked about on our prep call, is what are you drinking right now, Half past, 20 after 6 p.m. there? So it's not too bad. <laughs> it's 10.19 here in New York right now, just for reference point. What are you drinking if it makes you smile? Because, for us, I can hear the smile in your voice, and that's what we love here on Game Changers is happy people <laughs> who like to talk about what, they, what they're talking about. So what are you drinking now if it's interesting to you? If not, what are you planning to drink later to celebrate being on the show with us? Right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna drink it a little bit later, but it's gonna be a soy milk mocha, um, and there's a reason for that, uh, Bunny. Let me tell you why. Um, I'm not a big fan of tea or coffee. Um, I'm not big on milk, so you know I am actually lactose intolerant. So milk doesn't do very well with me. Um, so I prefer my vegan milk, and um, I like to you know really have chocolate in it uh, because that for me is mm. is the best kind of drink you can have. And then putting in a small shot of espresso that just adds to the flavor. That's what I'm going to be drinking. Ooh, that anything with chocolate, I'm on board. That's it. That's <laughs> fine. I think I was. Uh, I worked till about two o'clock this morning setting up this show, and I have another show an hour and a half. An hour after, we're we're <laughs> off the air, and all I wanted for Dust was something comforting, and it was one o'clock yeah. in the morning, and I said, "I'm going to make a cup of hot chocolate. I don't care what anybody says." <laughs> and there goes the little bit of cocoa, a little bit of sugar. Yes, I had white sugar. Oh yeah. my! And a little bit of water. <laughs> I made the syrup. Then I added two percent milk. I heated it just a little, and then I had fresh heavy. cream. Cream and I whipped it and I put it on top. If I tell you, thank yeah. you. I knew I liked you. That was just <laughs> wow. It was just comfort, comfort, comfort. Yes, and it powered me to work until two. And here we are, Kristen Boylo. Are you in uh, Canada today? Where are you? And what are you drinking? I am not in Canada today. I am out in oh. San Ramon, California. And uh, I'm at the SAP Sales Academy um, working this week. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's seven, 20 after 7 in the morning, and I really <laughs> am wishing I had a, a Starbucks coffee, or not coffee, Earl Grey tea in front of me, but I don't. Um, I'm missing it. I uh, got up a little bit late and then met someone at breakfast who wanted to join with me on the car ride here, and uh, so I didn't get a chance to stop for a, a Starbucks. So I, I have a water, and that's it. But I'm really wishing I had my tea. Well, mm-hmm. and, and what exactly, what tea are you going to get when you get to a Starbucks, or if you can find somebody to bring you one, which flavor are you going to get, and what's in it? Oh, my favorite is the Earl Grey. I drink Earl Grey almost exclusively outside of home. At home, my husband does not like anything flavored, so we have only orange Pico because um, we both drink pots and pots of tea every day. Um, but when I'm outside of the house, I generally drink Earl Grey tea and uh, just milk. I just like uh, a little bit of, uh, I prefer skim milk, but I'll take 2% if I have to. <laughs> Very nice. There you go. Yes. Always figuring out what that percent really means to us and our health and our bodies. And, you know, is there really that much of a difference? I agree with you. I go between, yes, I want the full flavor of milk too. 
Nah, I got to scale back to 2%. Nah, I got to scale back to 1%. Nah, it's time for skim milk. Now nah, let's go back to the 2% it tastes better. So, yes, I <laughs> you know understand. What? I, and, I yeah. have been drinking skim milk since I was um, really young, probably five or six. And I don't like the taste of 2%. I don't like it. I prefer really? skim. Yeah. Really? Interesting. For Das, in, in Dubai, do you have choices of the milk uh, fat percent there, too, like we do here? Yeah. Yeah, 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 we do. Uh, but, you know, we're, uh, I think, uh, I think here, because we have such a big variety of milk. I mean, we have goat milk, we have camel milk, um, you know, and, and, you know, we're, I mean, we're in the middle of the desert, so you would imagine that we'd have a lot of camel, uh, you know, milk and, and products and stuff. Um, so in those, you don't really get variety, but in cow's milk, you do get um, the 2%. Um, and then you get full fat, you get skinned, you get low fat, you know. So I guess, yeah, it's pretty, pretty much the same. Okay, good to know. And uh, Kirsten knows this, and Ferdas is about to find out. They do not let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. You know why. <laughs> and today is a doubleheader, <laughs> two shows within an hour of each other. So all I'm drinking is a cool, clear glass of water in a cool, clear mug. But I have a bright pink straw because it is an absolutely gorgeous day here in New York. We had a monsoon-like storm yesterday that came through like... It wasn't a hurricane, but the rain was going at about a 45-degree angle in sheets, thunder and lightning and crashing booms. It sounded like wow. everything was exploding, and I was staying away from the windows, and I had my personal radio show last night uh, at 7 o'clock, and the power stayed on, which was a little bit of a miracle. I could hear fire trucks going by and ambulances and wondering. I know trees were down in New Jersey. I know, Kirsten, that Newtown Square, uh, the SAP North America headquarters, had the same storm about an hour before we did. They sent it here east to New York, so she Shame, shame, shame on them. Anyway, so we are talking about a very serious topic here, the B2B Customer Experience 2020. Now, those of you who are regular listeners to the show know that we talk at the end of the show. We have our crystal ball predictions round, and I'm always asking my panelists to focus on the year 2020, but we're going to focus on that during our conversation. I am very pleased to have two very special guests today. Firdaus Sharif, if you're looking for her, I'll give you how to spell her name so you can find her online. I know she has a social presence, F-I-R-D-A-U-S, Sharif, S-H-A-R-I-F-F. She's a vice president of global marketing at SAP. And Kirsten Boylow, you know where to find her, the head of social selling training and enablement at SAP. So delighted to have both of them. They're smart. They're focused on this topic. So whether you're the customer on the customer end of the B2B buying experience or you're the seller, this is a very important topic. How engaged should you be? What is the exhaust, the trail, the fumes, the wake, the breadcrumbs of social selling, whichever end of the transaction you're on? We have a lot more to talk to for Das and Kirsten about. No, I didn't end the sentence with a preposition in the next coming 40 minutes. So you don't even want to think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial however you're listening this is one you really don't want to miss so i'm simply going to say to my engineer kevin out when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network social media is taking sales organizations by storm 
And only those who adapt quickly into the new digital world will be around in the future. Social selling is a concept that has implications to all lines of business, from building the fundamentals in the sales process and getting the content marketing mix right, to building cross-functional teams and ultimately changing the way buyers and sellers engage in a digital world. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how social selling is changing the world of business. Changing the Game with Social Selling is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Changing the Game with Social Selling. Presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to changing the game with social selling. Here we are, and we're back with two special guests. We have Fridas Sharif at SAP and Kirsten Boylo also at SAP. And we're talking about an important topic, whichever Whatever end of the transaction you're on, B2B Customer Experience 2020, the role of social selling. We're going to kick off the roundtable now with some notes that Firdas sent me before the show. Let me read two of the headlines she sent me, and she will run with it, expand it, and tell us more. So first of all, she said, 90% of all buying decisions are made with peer recommendations and referrals. And then I have to tag this on to that. A great B2B customer experience needs to equal a feeling of love. I had to do that for Doss because we don't usually <laughs> talk about love when we're talking about B2B. Sorry. So for Doss, why don't you run us through both of these? If you can put them together, that would be great. And then we'll invite Kirsten to chime in. So go ahead for Doss. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Bunny. So, you know, I don't think this is new to anyone, right? Um, you know, we, you know, gone are the days when people are, are, you know, calling up vendors or companies and asking them, hey, you know, do you have a solution for this? Uh, and can you help me, you know, with what I want? Everybody's going and, and looking at uh, referrals, at peer recommendations, you know, talking to their friends and family and finding out what somebody else did in a situation that they're now in. Um, so I think, you know, what really tends to happen now is 90% or more of the decision process, of the decision making, in terms of, you know, which solution someone wants to implement, is already done before they reach out to you. And, and they typically reach out to you because they want to complete the deal. Um, and in that process, you know, none of us have time for, for folks that are making, you know, cold calls. I mean, I get a bunch of calls from, um, from banks, you know, trying to sell me one thing or the other. And all I tell them is, if this is about an offer, I'm not interested. You know, so I don't even, you know, say hello or hi or, you know, have the small talk with them because, honestly, nobody's got the time and I, and I don't either. So I think it's, it's really uh, about uh, knowing someone uh, and, and being able to, you know, trust somebody. And, and going back to the, the topic that we spoke about a little bit earlier, um, unless I know you, unless I trust you, and unless I value your opinion, I'm not going to come to you and ask you for advice. Um, and that can only happen when, you know, you and I have a relationship um, and then, you know, you kind of consider me a subject matter expert. Um, and, and all of that uh, is driven very nicely through social selling in, in the current, you know, world that we were in, in the environment that we're in from a B2B uh, business perspective. And then, you know, about the, the other topic that you mentioned, a great experience um, needs to equal a feeling of love. You know, now I'll, I'll talk, talk about myself. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. an absolute true 
fanatic, right? And I think that's the best way of, of describing myself. Um, every time I look at a shoe uh, that has the Jimmy Choo name on it, or ha- I look at the logo of, of Jimmy Choo, it, um, you know, it, I feel so much enthusiasm, so much excitement, so much love towards the experience I have with that brand and with the shoes that I own. Um, it's just, it's, it's even difficult for me to explain, you know, in words how, you know, how that love um, and that feeling of enthusiasm and excitement, you know, comes through. So, so really, when you look at a brand, I think you, you invoke an experience. You, you know, there's an experience that comes to your mind. And unless that experience um, is absolutely superior, absolutely phenomenal, it won't, um, you know, excite or bring out feelings of, uh, of love or, you know, of liking something to that extent that, you know, you will absolutely trust it, absolutely say amazing things about it, be, um, you know, a, a loyal advocate for it. Um, and I think that's what every brand, regardless of whether you're in the B2C, B2B, you know, honestly, I don't even think those, those terminologies exist anymore. I think it's more human to human, right? It's H to H. Um, and I think unless you're able to invoke that kind of, uh, of a feeling, um, you know, you're not really succeeding as a brand. Um, and, and, you know, when you talk about that feeling of, um, of experience, uh, of enthusiasm, you know, of invoking the love, um, I think it's really about, uh, you know, how, how is that brand interacting with you? Um, how is it delivering against what they say they're going to deliver against? And, you know, what is the result of that experience? I mean, are you extremely happy? Like, you know, when I wear one of my Jimmy Choo's, uh, you know, they have really big heels. But honestly, Bonnie, I'm telling you, I could, I could actually exercise in those. You know, they're so comfortable. Um, and, and because of that, you know, I, whenever I think about, um, I recently had a baby and, you know, I want to wear things that are really comfortable uh, in the last couple of months. And every time I, you know, I think about which shoe shall I wear, I always go back to that specific one because it looks great. It is extremely comfortable, and, and, you know, I don't feel like I'm uncomfortable, out of place, um, you know, difficult to walk for a long distance. So, so I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a consolidation of all of those experiences that I just shared with you that delivers this feeling of love and this excitement that, that I have, and that's what we all need to invoke, whether we're B2C or, or B2B. Thank you. Firdas, your enthusiasm is coming right through. <laughs> I'm sitting here saying, I'm trying to think of brands that make me feel that excited while you're talking. I don't use Zappos for online shoes. I'm a very hard to fit shoes and I can't do high heels anymore. But uh, there are brands I see in a storefront, brick and mortar, as we yeah. say, where I'm excited mm-hmm. to go into the store. For example, we have a Marshall yeah. shoe store at, and, and, you know, separate from Marshall's, TJ Maxx, Home yeah. Goods. They're all owned by the same company. But if I, I used to just browse, just go into Home Goods and look and say, Wow, how would that look in my office or my living room? Can I imagine it? That's so cool that they put that in their merchandise, that the buyer is displaying that. And there was that excitement and that thought of what can it do for me? And I know this is off the topic of B2B, but we're talking H to H, human to human. Thank you for those comments. Kirsten, join us. What do you think? Oh, I I absolutely agree with Fridas. It's... And I thought what was really interesting was that she talked about how um, right from the moment that she sees the, the, um, the logo of the shoe all the way through to actually the wearing of the shoe, that that entire experience for her is, um, is so important. And, and I think that's, that's the whole point we're trying to get across is that 
you never know how many different touch points your customer has with your brand. Um, it, you know, right from the moment that she sees that, that Jimmy Choo logo, um, whether it's on a shoe or on the computer screen or, you know, on a, a billboard somewhere, um, that logo uh, has an impact on her. And then as, you know, through the, a, any buying process that she goes through all the way through to actually wearing the shoes that are extremely comfortable that she could actually, and I can fathom that she can exercise in high heels. <laughs> I have a hard time walking in them. <laughs> We got a little love going on here for for for, for Doss's shoes, I think. <laughs> I think that's the whole point is that you know she is so excited about that experience, not just about the shoe itself, but about the entire experience that makes her loyal to that brand and keep coming back for more and more shoes. If you take that to the B two B experience, if you can delight your customer throughout the entire um, process, from the moment that they first see your brand and see it associated with something that's important to them, that they then start to experience the brand in a new way, and and you know that every interaction that they have with your brand is uh, is a great one. It's they're all relevant, you know, to go back to the, to Shep's um, quote about you know even the small ones are relevant. They're all important. And all the way through to the implementation of the, of the, you know, the product. And then, you know, and that, it doesn't stop there. It has to continue on in, in the cloud-based economy that we're in. It's, it's a continuous cycle of customer experience. How, you know, what was the follow-up like? What was the customer service like? How, what was the support like? It, all of those pieces eventually lead to um, the the entire customer experience, and if those things that you know after the actual implementation are are still good and 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 still really relevant and still delight the customer, um, even though there might be problems there, if you can uh, make it right, make it a good experience for the customer in the solving of that problem. Um, you can still delight that customer all the way through and, and maintain that customer. I mean, customer retention is such a huge part of what we do in any company um, that, you know, making sure that you delight the customer, that that customer experience is so uh, is, is good all, in all stages, that's what's important. And, and I think that, you know, she really illustrated that, that, you know, as she goes from that very first experience all the way through to the wearing of the shoes and being very comfortable in them, it, it's a continuous cycle and she goes back and back for more. It's the same thing. We want our customer retention, our customers to, to be retained in that same way. Thank you, Kirsten. Very interesting. Fridas, anything you want to add to wrap this up? Because I'm going to go to something from Kirsten's notes in a second and move this to a different direction. So, Fridas, any final comments on that? Oh, no, Bunny. I think, I think we, you know, we, we elaborated on it and, uh, and we had a great um, banter on that topic. But, uh, but I think you know, the day we're able to invoke love and, and feelings of, um, of excitement, uh, w- that when people you know, see a banner in the airport or when somebody... Um, you know, walks past a building that has an SAP logo or, you know, one of our partner offices uh, that says that they're a partner of SAP. Um, and then they, you know, they, 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 they see that um, they, they, they come with the complete trust uh, just by seeing that logo. I think that's when we've achieved what we're talking about. And, and you know, we're on the journey as well. We, by no means have we got there entirely. Um, you know, we have some phenomenal um, successes with customers. But then with others, we're still building that, uh, that conversation and that journey. 
Thank you for Doss. And Kirsten, I'm looking at your notes, and let's talk about the extent to which customer experience and social selling go together. You say here, customer experience is an integral part of a social selling framework. That's kind of, I was thinking of it the other way around. You say all the way from awareness and demand generation through to customer retention. So any guidance, Kirsten, on the steps to start the awareness, start that demand gen, and then through retention, which would include, I call TLC, uh, tender loving care, tender customer care, after the fact of the sale. And, of course, you want to upsell them. You want them to become loyal. You want them to become advocates of your brand, as Ferdas was talking about her advocacy of brands like Zappos that she just exhibited here. Kirsten, a lot to talk about. Tell me more. Well, this is, a, this is a place where marketing and sales really come together in that awareness and demand generation around social, and through social selling. Um, you know, the, uh, with marketing creating the, um, the, the, we call it snackable content that makes for that digital exhaust, and every time a sales rep shares that snackable content, they're generating awareness about um, solutions, about products about um, themselves and and then you know if the customer is interested in that then they you know they start to click through it they start to follow the the rep and then if you think about it from from the customer standpoint uh, they start to see this person's uh, name you know kind of all over the place in all the content they're searching for a particular topic and they keep seeing this name person's name come up attached to the content that they're interested in and they're like hmm that's interesting this person is sharing a lot of content that is very very relevant to the topic that I'm interested in I'm going to go and take a look at them and so then they go and take a look at their say their LinkedIn profile and what do they see so this is where it becomes really important to, to make sure that your customer experience is very, uh, you know, very good um, with your brand. And I don't mean, you know, uh, a company brand. I mean your personal brand at this point. So they, you know, they go and look at your LinkedIn profile. What kind of story does your LinkedIn profile tell? Does it look like you're looking for a job mm-hmm. or is it customer-centric? Mm-hmm. Does it talk about the value that you bring to your customer or does it talk about how many times you've been to, um, to club or winter circle or whatever your company calls it? Because um, <laughs> if, if it talks about how great you are as a, as a sales rep, your customer is like, mm, you know what, this, this guy, you know, he's sharing content, but uh, I can't really see how he's going to help me. Um, maybe it was just kind of what his marketing team told him to do. Um, but if they see something that, that really talks about how this person really helped out their customer, they, they helped them drive, um, you know, conversions or they helped them drive revenue or they helped them, you know, fix up their supply chain or whatever it was uh, and what kind of um, impact they were able to have, that's going to be, an, 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 you know, that's the customer experience you want to have. The customer says, oh, well, if they can do that for that for another customer, maybe they can do the same thing for me. And then that, then that customer says, oh, you know what, maybe I'm going to start to follow this person. And, and, and each one of those pieces becomes a part of that customer experience. It, you know, um, looking at someone's LinkedIn profile seems like a little thing, uh, but it is very, very relevant. It's, it's key that you get your story right. Very interesting. Kirsten, I'm so intrigued with what you just said because going back to my point with Firdas at the beginning of the show about telling our young people that exhaust, Kirsten, that you mentioned, those, I call them the breadcrumbs or the trail, they linger, they're out there and what people see 
It's hard for young people to see forward to a job like Firdas's and a a stellar career like hers and like yours, Kirsten, and even me in the media after years of being a programmer, analyst. You never know where you're going to be. It's hard for us to envision the forward motion of our career, of our life journey, if you will, and and to think that everything sticks. The exhaust is – Kirsten, I I can't get over that uh, parallel that that uh, metaphor you shared because those particles do stick so Kirsten just you're a specialist I know in LinkedIn could you just give one or two pointers to our audience on what to do to have one of those shining through examples of a LinkedIn profile that will tell your prospect this is somebody I can trust, I can get to like, I can get to know somebody I want to do business with. Is there any key to how to introduce yourself on LinkedIn, for example, if a B2B customer is looking at you as a human being, Kirsten? Uh, I think, well, I, I could probably name off a, do- a dozen. But <laughs> uh, g- give, me, I... give me five or six. That's fine. We have time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, a couple of things that, I, that immediately come to mind are, you know, having a good professional photo on your LinkedIn profile. Um, it, 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 you know, I'm here at the SAP Academy, here with all kinds of early talents, and uh, we were discussing yesterday morning in our morning huddle with the rest of the, the team here that's doing the facilitation uh, about how the, the, this certain cohort had just gotten their, their, um, their professional photos done. They were, you know, being uploaded into the jam site for them to, to take down uh, yesterday morning. And, and all the eye rolls about, oh, their current photo, we can't wait to get these, these photos on their LinkedIn profiles. <laughs> it was kind of funny um, how, you know, it, so that's, it's such a key piece. That very, very first impression of, of who you are as, as a professional is that LinkedIn profile photo. If it's got, you know, your favorite dog or, your, you know, you're holding up a fish or you're standing in front of your skidoo or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> All of those things, they don't apply. Yes, it might be, um, you know, it might evoke who you are as a human being, but if they can't see your face, if um, you're dressed very casually, if you don't have a a, a nice open smile on your face, um, or if the background's really distracting, then it it doesn't give that great first impression that you want to give. Um, Another thing would be to, you know, another in terms of photos, the background photo on your LinkedIn profile. Um, The generic one is kind of a a blue uh, background, but you can really make your your profile stand out with that visual. um, If you change it to something that either, you know, LinkedIn has a bunch of different ones that that they've uploaded, but also you can choose just a photo that you've taken yourself, Um, more of a landscape thing, or you can make a bit of a collage kind of thing. There's all kinds of different options there that you can put in that background piece, and it really makes your your, um, profile stand out. Their eyes are drawn to it. The third piece I would recommend is the, the headline. Don't use it as your title because if people really want to know your title, they can click into your profile and scroll down to see what your title is. But make it something that's very relevant to your customer. Draw them in. Yes. Uh, I've heard it described as you know the, the title of your book. It should be the title of your book. You want people to look at that and say, mm, I want to learn more, and they click in. Uh, you know, Make it relevant to your customer. Make it value-oriented, those kinds of things. And then the next piece I would talk about, probably this will be the last one 
um, is your summary. Your summary is once they've looked through your business card piece, which is the very top of your LinkedIn profile, the next piece they come to or should come to is your summary. And your summary is where you get to, to really have that start that conversation with them start to have that real impact on what the you know what value you can provide to this to this relationship you can give them a little bit of a um, an idea of who you are as a human being what kind of passions you have are you really into um, you know skydiving I can't imagine why anybody but jump out of a perfectly good plane but you know it, maybe somebody else is interested <laughs> in the same thing or it could be that they are um, you know really uh, they love, love digging deep into strategy with customers. It doesn't have to be personal, but it, if you give them a sense of who you are as a human being, whether it's a professional or a personal or a bit of both, you can at least give them that kind of understanding of what value they're going to get out of the, this relationship and get the, give them an idea of who you are as a person so they can start to build that relationship with you. If you can make, invoke some sort of emotional response that Ferdas talked about, giving them that emotional um, experience with you, then they build that memory. And as soon as they build that memory, you have started to build a relationship with them. So, you know, wanting to to get that kind of um, reaction from them is really, really important. So those are the kind of the big pieces that I would pick out. Um, You're making it very visual, um, drawing people in with your headline, and then giving people a summary that's going to to really draw draw home the value that you can bring to that relationship. Kirsten, that was great. I'm listening. I'm admiring. I'm typing into the chat with my engineer. She is so smart and so focused. And this is your brand. LinkedIn uh, excellence is your brand, Kirsten. It's just what you do. You're, you just, these just, fear dust, am I right? It just rolls off her tongue and everything that she says is good. Firdas, anything you want to add to what Kirsten shared about the importance of something as simple but major as how you appear on LinkedIn when people are looking for you and they may want to create or get involved with a B2B customer experience with you? Firdas, anything you want to add? Oh, so, Bunny, I think, you know, I can't add more to what Kirsten just said. She is the absolute, you know, uh, authority on that topic. Um, and I think some of the things you said are, are very basic, but they're so important. Um, and they make such an impact in uh, in the way you drive your uh, your personal brand, uh, particularly on LinkedIn. And I would go a little bit further, and I would say that um, you know today there is no delineation between um, a specific channel that people would look at if you were engaging with them. So the only other bit of um, you know advice I would have is that uh, we really need to um, ensure that we're replicating that uh, that perspective that we drive on LinkedIn into our other social you know. Uh, channels as well. So, I mean, you can't have, like, you know, a really professional uh, perspective on LinkedIn and you say all the right things and you do all the right things and then you go to somebody's Facebook account and, you know, they have a, a, a strange <laughs> picture, you know, up there or, or they have a picture where they're entirely wasted or, or something on those lines, right? <laughs> so I think... Uh, <laughs> to put it delicately, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I think you, you've just got to ensure that, you know, like I said, it's like, you know, wearing the right clothes. It's like wear, it's like combing your hair, it's like brushing your teeth. Um, and I think that you've got to be able to do that across um, all social channels, just like you would when you're meeting somebody in person. Very interesting. And that that brings up a quick question I have for both of you. How can a person in B2B selling or customer retention or nurturing, whatever your role is in that customer journey slash cycle, 
how should they keep their business and personal lives separate? So should Bob Smith have a uh, Bob Smith B2B profile on LinkedIn and then have a, uh, hey, it's Bob on Facebook with a completely different picture so nobody can link the two? Kirsten, what do you think? How do you keep your private life and your, your personal life slash your professional life alive and relevant to different audiences on social selling any and social media? Kirsten? You know, that's actually something that I've been dealing with over the last few months is, is, um, is keeping those two pieces very separate. Uh, I have, up until the last few months, I have always kept my, um, my Facebook as my personal life. I didn't connect with anyone. Um, I connected with some, a few close friends here at SAP, but I didn't um, connect with anyone that I knew business-wise outside of SAP unless I was very, very close to them. Um, and... Uh, but recently that's changed, and I'm struggling a bit with how do I utilize Facebook in the same way, sharing pictures of my kids and my family and, um, you know, my house, and, uh, because I've opened my, my network up a little bit to, uh, you know, a few people that are part of the, the social selling world um, it, outside of SAP. And, and so how do I, and I'm really struggling with it. I'm not sure that I know the answer yet. Um, I've, I know, I, I've recognized that I don't share nearly as much as I used to, which makes my family a little bit upset because um, they liked seeing pictures of my kids and, and, you know, things that we're doing and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I, I'm struggling a little bit with that. Uh, but I, it also has made me think very, very carefully about when I do share, what am I sharing? Is this going to have an impact on uh, anything that I'm talking about business-wise? Um, you know, I've, I've always been very careful about sharing my opinions, um, you know, on social media, but, you know, politics or whatever. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm even thinking even more about it now. I, I'm very, very careful because I just, I, I, it's my brand. I have to protect my brand. My brand is, you know, fairly yes. um, clean, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> And, yeah, squeaky. It's squeaky. It is, and it's it's friendly. I want to get we're in the the predictions round of the show, but Kevin's giving us two extra minutes, which is great because we started a little bit late. Thank you, Kevin, our esteemed engineer extraordinaire. That's EE today, Kevin. For Doss, I'd love to get your thoughts on what Kirsten said. What's your advice to our listeners in terms of being in B two B at any place in the B two B cycle, selling, promoting, marketing, uh, customer retention, demand gen, lead gen, wherever you are, marketing any part of that journey, how do you coordinate, reconcile, or keep totally separate your personal and professional LinkedIn and Facebook profiles and presence? What do you think for us? So, so Bonnie, I think quite differently from what Kirsten just said, right? I think um, that there's really, it's about work-life integration. It's not about finding a balance because um, because that's a myth, in my opinion. So I really think that, you know, you're the same human, you're working and you're living um, as the same person. And I think what you should do is, just like Kristen said, you know, you've got to be um, able to ensure that you vet what you, you know, what you share. Because, honestly, I wouldn't go and, you know, tell somebody on the street that um, I did something crazy, right? I wouldn't do that because I don't know them. So why would I put it on a social channel, regardless of whether it's personal or it's, uh, you know, it's business. Um, mm-hmm. And I think uh, I think what you've really got to do is um, uh, ensure that uh, you stay as human as possible. Uh, for me, it's about, you know, what I, what I truly believe in. That's what I um, either talk about. Those are the opinions that I have that I share. 
And I love to have a voice, you know, in, in the areas that I'm really passionate about. So I'm really big on, on women empowerment. And, you know, I love saying things about that on my personal Facebook and even on my LinkedIn, um, you know, channels and, and pitching into conversations that um, have a topic that is, uh, you know, on the lines of what my interests are. So I, I think it's, I think it's, it's quite simple the way I see it. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, I can, I can understand that it could be daunting to someone who may not have started off, you know, going in that perspective. Uh, but, but I've always thought of it like this. This is exactly how I played it out. Um, you see a lot of family stuff on my Facebook, uh, you know, uh, channel. Um, and then you'll see uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, things that I truly believe in from a marketing perspective and some other, you know, things that I'm really passionate about on my, on my LinkedIn profile. Um, and, and honestly, you know, I remember I posted a picture of, uh, of me having a really great hairstyle once and, and I had a bunch of CEOs from multiple, you know, companies that, I, that are friends now because, you know, we've, we've had so many, you know, we, we've, we've gotten to know each other over time and, you know, we're part of the same councils and things like that. And a lot of them, you know, liked my picture. And I thought that was a little embarrassing. But then at the same time, we're all humans <laughs> and we're all, you know, people at the end of it. So really, I think that's how it plays out. Very interesting comment. Thank you very much. <laughs> Getting up close and personal really here. For Das, I'm going to ask you first. It's time for our crystal ball predictions round. Uh, I, I'm yeah. really enjoying the conversation with both of you. So I'm going to give you each 90 seconds and then we'll wrap it up. For Das, look ahead. We talked about this topic being B2B customer experience 2020, the role of social selling. And we really haven't referenced that time frame. So let's, let's officially look forward to three years away. And by the way, somebody very smart pointed out to me that 2020 is just three New Year's Eves away. So you can start planning your hairstyle and your drink already (laughs) and making reservations at some fabulous place. By the way, Kirsten, there is a nightclub here on Long Island, a dance club called the Winner's Circle. I just wanted to tell you that. I forgot when you mentioned it. So that's not necessarily where the winners go, but it's a fun place to do. A lot of Latin dancing there, a good crowd, a lot of fun, great DJs, great bands. And for DOS, now, 90 seconds, predictions. What will change about the B2B customer experience in terms of the role of social selling by 2020. I, I, as a matter of fact, I can give you 60 seconds because we're almost done. Firdaz Sharif, please yeah. go. So I think, um, you know, I think if at all, it's going to be a lot more mature than we currently see it. So um, I think, you know, right now we see 90% of the decisions are being made before, you know, speaking to someone like officially. I think you'll see a bigger percentage of that. And, and people are um, looking for experiences that they see in everyday life, um, you know, why should that be any different from, you know, what they experience at, uh, in work environments? Um, and I think um, uh, what we're going to see over the next couple of years is a maturing of uh, the expectations of, uh, of customers. Um, and I think we've got to be ready because, you know, the, the ship is sailing. So if we're not on it, then, you know, you're not on it. And I think uh, that's the big thing to keep in mind. Thank you very much. Words to the wise, words of wisdom uh, from a very smart lady. And Kirsten Boylow, I saved exactly 60 seconds for you. Predictions, please. Well, I I got thinking about uh, what I would want to say today. And I I think that the the prevalence of a, I think it's out there now, but I think it will become far more popular where a B2B buyer will actually buy software or um, services or whatever it is that they're buying for their business uh, in the same manner that we would go to Amazon and purchase a product. Um, It's out there now, but I think it's not particularly popular at the moment. Um, And I think that as people get more and more comfortable with the whole uh, idea of of buying, um, 
you know, things online, yes, it's, it's, um, it's popular, but only thir- actually 13% of, of, uh, of transactions happen online right now. That um, as it becomes more and more ingrained into our culture, that it will transfer over to the, to the B2B space um, probably sooner than later. Thank you very much. We are just about at the end of our time together for Dasha Sharif and Kirsten Boylo. What an interesting conversation. Kirsten, this has got to be one of the best. What do you think? I loved it. it Dasha is an amazing speaker. It's great. Well, you are too, lady. You are too. What a great combination. So I want to thank my two esteemed panelists for Dasha Sharif and Kirsten Boylo, both very smart in the area of B2B. What should your personal and professional merging of who you are, who you want to be, are you trustworthy? Are you likable? Are you social? But are you professional? How do you achieve that in social selling? I'm sure we'll do a part two at some point in time. I want to thank our engineer, excellent, extraordinaire, Kevin Gassman at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. It's been great to be here with my two special guests. Hope we added some words of wisdom and inspiration and energy to your day. I'll be back in an hour with a new edition of Partnerships Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, another great show live at 12 noon Eastern here on the Business Channel. Bonnie D. Graham signing off, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and get a new hairdo with new shoes today. No, go out and be a game changer just like for us and just like Kirsten. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Social Selling, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 